welcome to the Hotel Analyst podcast, where, as usual, you find uh, me, Chris Bound, the editor of Hotel Analyst, with Andrew Sankster, the editorial director of Hotel Analyst. We're going to sit and talk for a brief while about three topics that have caught our eye from the world of operational real estate and hotels from the last week or so. Now, just a, a reminder, if you're a, a recent convert uh, or discoverer of the Hotel Analyst podcast, that if you'd like to know more uh, and more facts and figures about what we're talking about, then please do take a look at the hotelunless.co.uk website, where we'd be delighted for you to sign up for a subscription, but at least why don't you sign up for a sample and see what we're all on about um, in terms of uh, a bit more detail and a bit more flesh on the bones of the topics we're discussing tonight. And we're starting off by looking at the world of serviced offices. How does this relate to hotels, you say? Well, actually, through the last few months of the pandemic, it's got much more linked with hotels and offices because people are looking for places to work and they're looking for safe places to work. This is also a space that several hotel groups have, are increasingly getting into uh, not just least through the pandemic, but even before those times, uh, as they look for ways to increase their connection with guests and build on a subscription model of income. Why wouldn't you have a little bit of workspace that you can charge people for alongside your hotel space? But back to the main flex office suppliers, uh, there's been a bit of a shake-up. One or two are feeling the pinch as the business goes down through the current pandemic but most are looking forward to a reshaping of the business environment and hopefully more occupiers taking up uh, more flexible space in the future as corporate occupiers look to come out of the pandemic and reassess how their staff work are they going to work full-time in the office are they going to work part-time at home there's plenty of opportunities for reshaping the world of work as we come out of the pandemic so, so Andrew, how do you see this sector shaping up? We've got Regis, the big players, who are suffering a little, but bound to bounce quite well out of this uh, current downturn. Uh, lots of newcomers, some of whom will fall by the wayside. And of course, the infamous WeWork. There's so much to pick up on here, um, Chris, in terms of the, the big trends that are happening. Uh, um, but the first thing I want to say is in terms of the overall impact of COVID. And we have said this many times. Um, we could almost sing it in unison, I think. Uh, uh, but COVID, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's an accelerant rather than a change agent. Um, and, and, and this is true in the case of officers as well. Um, and you know the, the thing with covid in in many cases you know these these trends long term trends they're quite tricky to spot and if, you know we're often like frogs in that proverbial pan of gradually um, heating up water we, we just don't notice what's happened with covid it's suddenly someone's thrown in a load of scalding water and we've noticed it um <laughs> we our skin starts peeling off um and so this whole trend to um, um, sort of remote work was already there. We were mm. more and more people I talked to sort of having the Friday off and working from home and that. And you know, it's a natural evolution, I think, of of of, of how, you know, particularly if you're a desk-bound um, worker, um, that you want to be able to conduct your your working week. So it's no surprise that um, this is on the way and has happened happened as as fast as it has given that we've been compelled to 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 work from home now the read through some have taken from this that is 
is that this is the end of the office as we know it. No, no, no. Um, I nah. really don't think so. No, no. 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 Um, I, I think there's a whole host of reasons why it isn't. Um, the, the biggest one I think is about culture. Is about the need to transmit the ethos of a organisation. And uh, Jess Staley, the CEO of Barclays, made that clear at uh, the virtual Davos um, when he said, "Look, we're going to go back to an office. We and um, we desperately need to go back to an office." Um, and that is, and I think there are many businesses that actually share that now on the flip of that there are some businesses that have said we're going to be remote entirely i think in the longer term they are going to be uh, very much in the minority um and even those that are sort of caught midway between this and allowing a lot more working from home um i i, I think in terms of net office space um we won't see a, a big reduction because whereas um, the office in the main sort of HQ office say in central London or central Manchester um, there might be fewer desk spaces there's probably going to be more uh, um, sofas and coffee machines and yeah. general sort of meeting spaces all that kind of jazz that, that that's what we're going to see more of and what we'll then see are offices opening up um, nearer commuter towns etc and maybe further maybe further flung um corners of the uk and uh, perhaps abroad as well um it, it's been quite funny to see some of the hoteliers um interpretations of this in terms of you know we can offer a remote workplace in our hotel rooms um and uh, i mean it's, it's almost a competition for the most dreadful name of it um <laughs> so um i th um i think melia calls it workcation come and come to a melia hotel and have a workcation a workcation um by the by the sea i mean if you can actually travel something we're about to go on to talk about in a minute on this podcast um i think accor calls it works fatality um ooh. um but there's a lot of there's a lot of grim grim um terms for this but uh, you know in terms of uh are this is not i think I, I um what's happening in retail i think there is a fundamental structural shift in retail which is you know you know why do you go to a shop yeah. to buy something yeah. and you don't need to go to a shop because you can do it online um i think retail will continue but it's going to be much more of an experience you go there to check things out um uh, rather than to, to actually do that purely transactional thing so that that bit i think that retail is doesn't exist anymore but i think that the reason why offices exist in terms of a place for people to meet and network um are absolutely there and if anything the way that um, our whole economies are moving so go back to davos and the world economic forum again they talk about the fourth industrial revolution the knowledge economy well the successful businesses in the knowledge economy are going to be about networking about the sharing of ideas it's so much harder to do that remotely um and, and frankly i don't think you can do it effectively remotely you have to be together and this is the long-term trend for urbanization um where you get the, the 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 bigger the place the better the sharing of ideas and opportunities and i think for for people in you know at the early stages and mid stages of their careers um, they really want to be in offices to actually help grow um, their opportunities and their and, and their their careers um, 
it's so much harder to do that remotely um you know it's all very well for you and i chris who at a certain stage in our career where we're quite happy to to sit at our desk and and not be bothered with all the the, <laughs> the nonsense that goes on with office politics but um for me, most other people i think that the office is such a vital part of it I, I just don't see how that's going to going to disappear um i think there is going to be change this is not to say there isn't going to be a very significant change in how offices are used i think as we've already mentioned in terms of having more meeting space in terms of being somewhere for somebody to come into two or three times a week rather than every day in the, the working week um that will create opportunities for for um, hospitality companies certainly branded hospitality in the workplace itself um, there's opportunities for some of those longer distance commuters if they're staying for a couple of days they'll overnight it in the city so there's an opportunity there i think when you talked about the subscription model chris i think it's more of that sort of citizen m style mm. subscription model where you say look i okay i know i'm gonna have to go into my office um which is you know i'm, I'm moving to truro but i have to go to my office in london which is i don't know how however, however many hundred miles and hours on on a <laughs> a train or car a away a lot um so you're going to do that overnight um or maybe over a couple of nights um maybe once a fortnight but you know you're going to stay in that citizen m um for almost certainly five or six days a month therefore that subscription model makes a lot of sense and becomes very attractive um so i, I think those sort of things um you know that that's where that's really going to score with that um going back to this whole flex office piece um it's very interesting so we've had this meltdown so we we had um, i think notel now notel appeared at our hotel alternatives back in the day when we were still doing face-to-face -face oh i remember them yeah, remember yeah, yeah, those. yeah yes yes yeah. um but uh, we had notel unfortunately they the u.s operations have gone into chapter 11 um and you know i, I really liked what they were doing as a, as a business model but uh, they had that classic problem they were uh buying long and selling short mm. and they got caught out with that and the the long leases and everybody came and renegotiated their flexible leases and they were stuck on long leases um so therefore they they, they got clobbered with that and you know that they, they never well happened. in a previous Pretty downturn we just had the same issue and and did yeah, chapter exactly. 11 themselves yeah. so you know that there is a danger yeah. now you know they ought to look at a biz uh, you know a, a vertical sector which um has copes with the cyclicality of it why not take a look at hotels <laughs> and here we have the whole hotelization process going on of real estate um and in the context of offices and i think you know we have the models in in hotels which are actually are very appropriate for these flex office players and is it you know and, and I, I write in my piece in 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 hotel analyst in the in the written version about breather which is uh, another one of these um, flex office providers which has gone virtual only and they say they want to do an airbnb like model which which i can see there's going to be a space for some digital players like that but ultimately somebody has to run these flex mm. offices um, and running them on a hospitality like basis seems to be the way forward spain where um, there's an audacious plan in uh, in prospect of uh, getting the whole of the hospitality sector or at least all the big players uh, in the hospitality sector together to seek european union funds to help transform their uh, their their businesses um could be grabbing 
billions of, of, of euros to help transform the not just the sector but look across a whole raft of changes to improve and upgrade the proposition for the consumer as regards um, hospitality and tourism in Spain. Uh, it could be picking up a whole load of rather tired bucket and spade uh, Costa destinations and, and upgrading them. Uh, could be helping a whole load of hotels improve their green offer. Um, could also be broadening the the experiential offer for consumers in the future. It's it's a big big game. It's being corralled at the moment. However, I suspect from looking at it and speaking to one or two consultants in Spain, it sounds a bit like it's herding cats. It could be quite a tricky thing to pull off. But um, the EU has put together a big pot of next generation funds to help businesses that have been particularly hit by the pandemic and need to kind of move their, themselves up a game. And um, that is famously delivering a lot of business, but not really holding its weight as far as the interest of the Spanish government is concerned. Yeah, it's interesting. This whole thing is going to hinge on what sort of summer um, we have in Southern mm. Europe um, and, and, and whether we're going to get intra-regional travel. Um, and I don't know, and I'm not sure who knows actually what, what the outcome of that. And we've got various people betting um, on what's going to be happening. So it's interesting, you look at two uh, Spain's two big players, Melia and NH, on this, and they have divergent views. You have Melia saying, look, we're all going to be going heading down south um, for the, the sun. <laughs> um um, and NH saying, look, actually, we've got to, that's not going to happen. We're going to have barriers to that, even intra-regional travel this summer. And we've got to rely on a domestic market, which, of course, for Southern Europe um, is a nightmare because their their inbound far exceeds their domestic mm. market usually. So without that inbound, it, it, it's, a, it's a huge problem. Um, for, it's the flip for that for the, for the north, of course, Northern Europe. So we're, we're, we're going to have, as we've previously um talked about um um, have a possibly a bumper summer um so how is this going to play out now tui not surprisingly um europe's largest uh, tour operator uh, is talking a good game um it's saying it's got 2.8 million customers booked on for this summer about 80 percent of its capacity mm. optimistic or deluded <laughs> yes um yeah. we will see um and i think morgan stanley in a, a very uh, in a very subdued way said um the risks are on the downside oh, deluded and, rather than yes, optimistic could, okay, could, okay, right, right. Got it. yes yeah you could, you could you could put it a lot stronger than that i think um but uh, yeah, but we've only got to look at what's going on in, in, in the UK in terms of, I mean, we've just had this, um, I know we're going to talk about <laughs> this in a, in, a, in a moment, Chris, but, but you know, the, the quarantines um, regime they're talking about and announcing um, in the UK um, and, and this red list that's there that already has Portugal on it. There's been lots of rumours about Spain being added to, to it, added to the list. I mean, you know, it, it's, make, it's making it a lot riskier um for going on holiday going overseas this summer compared to last summer i mean if you're going to face a, a a bill of 
1750 per person for that 10-day quarantine in the uk hotel oh my goodness that that you know that is going to put mm. you off isn't it a bit that makes your um bargain holiday a lot more yeah. expensive um you know I, me you know with a family of five ow <laughs> you know <laughs> there goes the almost well, entire holiday budget just in that in that apart from the money stay. the grief so, of being tied yeah. up in your in, with your family in a hotel oh, for 10 days the horror oh, the horror no me. no I, I absolutely agree um i mean you know and, it, and it, it's beyond sort of human rights <laughs> at least if you're a prisoner you get out for a for an hour of 24 hours don't you i mean it, it, it's, it's ghastly um but but yeah, I mean, so I, I think that is going to be a significant deterrent to people. And as we saw last summer, we had this this prospect of, uh, you know, they might suddenly add a country to the list and we had people racing back to the border so they didn't have to home quarantine. But if this is the potential to actually stick you in a hotel at that great expense, um, really, are you going to take that risk? Um, and I'm not sure, and we don't know just what the vaccine situation is going to be like in the rest of Europe and whether they're going to be opening up the borders or not um it's going to be a challenge i think and you know clearly places like greece are saying yes please come um um but i wonder that the problem they face is you know in the schengen area how's that going to work uh, and unless everybody's just forgetting schengen and just going to shut the borders down um uh, you know it is very tricky there's a whole array of um potential outcomes with this um but my, my bet is on that it's going to be a very um problematic summer for for southern europe and if it is um that m makes it more likely that this kind of um very as you've you've already said um, uh, like herding cats i think that does sum it up i mean it's a very problematic thing to get through but if everybody's absolutely on their knees then i think that that stands a chance of being pushed through and it could be very interesting indeed to, to have that but uh yeah quite whether we really want st the state involved to that degree in 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 tourism um well well uh, yeah. um <laughs> we'll wait <till>, yes <laughs> there's a whole uh, array of new problems that's going to um lead Absolutely. to i suspect now our third topic is is we're taking a look at uh, accor invest uh accor's uh, hotel owning vehicle and uh, most recently they've been disposing of properties in uh, africa as they've divestments which has seen them kind of retrenching back into Europe as they uh, suffer from the pandemic as so many other companies in hospitality do so we've also been kind of casting our, uh, our eye on what's been going on in Africa and where Africa stands uh, in terms of uh, its, its emergence from the pandemic um, but to kick off uh, Accor Invest has sold a portfolio of properties in sub-Saharan Africa to a an investment relatively new investment vehicle called Casada, um, they they raised over 500 million euros last year uh, to invest into hotels in Africa, which of course is a, a thing in itself. In that there's there's very few kind of decent portfolios come up for um, trading in Africa in a market that's very much uh, disengaged. You've got a wide variety of, of different types of investors. Um, so we've been speaking to uh, those involved on the ground uh, talking about how the market's going to emerge in Africa uh, but the distinct thing theme is that things in Africa are quite different from where they, they might be in other parts of the world um, and 
Accor Invest, well, they're struggling a bit in terms of their liquidity, it seems. Uh, they've just had a, an investment from the uh, which will help stave things off for a little while. Yeah, in, interesting. As you say, Africa is quite different. Um, I, w I was struck. Um, I did a little bit of digging around and um, looked at a, a report that HVS put out over the summer saying actually in Africa, uh, business travel is set to come back quicker than leisure, mm, which is interesting, okay. I think. Um, yeah. um, but also the other thing that comes out from also from HVS was the just how small Africa is as a market. So in sub-Saharan Africa, um, the biggest market, and this is sort of international quality hotel rooms, um, HVS reckon it's under 20,000 rooms. Um, mm. That's tiny. I mean, you know, this is this is not a major market um, in the you know a scale market, and it's understandable why the likes of Accor Invest wants to wants to pull back from it. Um, but I mean, it is going to be a high growth market. I mean, you know, the, the the African continent is going to be the fastest growing, but that is a, a decades long. I was going to say, but people have been project. saying that for a long time. Um, and, <laughs> yeah yeah and and you know uh um and whilst we've seen that in china and it's and it's got there um it, it's going to be towards the you know the second half of this century probably before we we, we start getting to china like um numbers i am mean, certainly in the hotel sector i suspect um so it's going to take a while i mean the the global major hotel brand companies are, are nicely positioned there marriott um it made that that swoop on protea and is not surprising the biggest branded player um and it's it's keeping um, share going forward as well it's got um according to hvs again 37 percent of the pipeline um accords the next biggest at 12 percent um so it's it, it's it's an interesting um position that uh, um africa is in with this um it's just challenging in terms of you know unlike china we're talking about lots of smaller markets um to get to that kind of scale scale up of china it will get there but it, it's it's a it's a more challenging um environment for a whole host of reasons um going to accor invest um one thing that struck me with looking at this and and looking at the the problems they have um how do they dig themselves out of this what is it they can do um well one possibility might be of course to convert to the the french uh reit regime a seek um this could provide an opportunity for the overseas investors uh the saudis et al to actually mm. exit um um and come out who knows and there, I, I certainly don't have any in, any indication that that's on on the you know on the cards in the in the short term but uh, in the sort of medium term once we get asset values back um and if we have a decent recovery in europe you know we could that that, that sort of a move could even be feasible in a in a year or two but uh, that's one possible way out i think i mean right now um i mean it's you know, Accor investors in a, in a strange situation in which um, it is geared up like a property investor, but it actually is a massive operator at the same time. It's a big employer. Uh, thousands of, of staff um, are employed by Accor Invest. And the kind of institutional money that typically goes into um, these sort of real estate assets uh, isn't too happy. Um, 
having exposure to that sort of um, employee liability i think we talked about um, um was it last week chris when we we, we talked about what happened with uh, ksls and mm. up, up, up north of scotland the kind of risk you take with this operational real estate um if you're not careful and i could see why um um, institutional capital is going to want a more of an arm's length and perhaps a great conversion and uh, to the Sikh regime will will would enable that but uh, it, 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 how this plays out is is one to watch no star awards and um, this week we're starting off with a no star award which is for the UK government who seem to be making a complete mess of their long-trailed quarantine plan for incoming travellers. Andrew's already mentioned uh, the cost of £1,750 to uh, be paid by the incoming traveller if they're going to come into the UK and quarantine from Monday. Um, but with a week to go, they'd failed to book any hotel rooms uh, at all to, uh, to house these incoming travellers. So quite how this is all going to work out we have yet to enjoy seeing. Uh, and the five-star award goes to Rob Patterson, the CEO of Best Western UK, who called the government out for the uh, their failure. He appeared on a BBC Radio News programme and declared he'd been up for helping the government for months, but uh, they'd failed to engage with the industry. And he said uh, of the shambles, I'm not sure I'd have a job if I did that in my company. Uh, so uh, quite how it's all going to work, we've yet to see... It's a mess, Chris, um, and and you know I, I'd hoped that the government had suddenly um, uncovered a new verve or, or got into a groove. Um, unfortunately, it doesn't appear that that's the case. It's just reverted to type. And the vaccine thing—it um, seems more of an aberration. And they're, they're back to their their bungling selves. I mean, if you get into the detail of it of, of this whole thing, it just gets worse and worse. Wish you well and say bye for now.